0: Welcome to Inside Seaweed. This is the podcast where we talk about the incredible world of seaweed and how this growing industry is bringing innovation and solutions to address climate change and the environmental crisis. Ladies and gentlemen, for this episode, I'm joined by Peter Elburn. Managing Director of Supply and Operation at New Wave Foods. The company supplies organic seaweed direct to businesses and also create innovative food products under their brand Shore. Peter trained as a marine biologist. He worked in community sustainability projects over a number of years. Then a consultancy project on business development led to the original idea to process seaweed in 2012. He began working full time on seaweed in 2015 when the company was founded. He is based in the north of Scotland in a vast and beautiful region called the Highlands. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to sit down and talk seaweed with me.
1: Great, thank you for inviting me.
0: No worries. Look, Peter, a lot of kids dream about becoming a marine biologist. When did you realize that you wanted to become a marine biologist? And what pushed you to study life in the ocean?
1: Uh, Well, I think I was one of of those kids. I was quite young, grew up in the middle of England, a very long way from the sea, but somehow found it fascinating. And I went to Bangor, in North Wales to do marine biology. And it seemed to be the small things that I found most interesting. And I actually did my dissertation on all the plants and animals that grow on seaweed.
0: So it wasn't sharks like, like a lot of kids tend to
1: Yeah, yes it was sharks. It was it was <laughs> It was, of course it was, of course it was.
0: Oh, of course it was, okay. You throw me out by saying it was
1: a small things. <laughs> no, but I found um Uh, Once I started studying marine biology, I found it really interesting um, looking at plankton, larval ecology, and um, that's what I ended up going to do a PhD in, in Newcastle. So I studied barnacles.
0: I was going to ask you about that because it is not a question I can ask very often. What are barnacles (laughs) and what took you to to Newcastle to study them?
1: Um, So... Barnacles are crustaceans, they're like shrimps that stand on their heads and live in shells. What's interesting about them is that they are stuck and they have free-swimming larvae and these larvae go through various stages of development and they end up in this phase of life where they are trying to attach and they swim down to the surface and they literally walk around to try and find the best possible spot to live and that's what i was studying and it's really important with barnacles because they are an important fouling species and so they grow on ships and they slow ships and on anything that goes in the sea and i think that for me that's particularly um, important as i've carried on with working in seaweed because anything that you put in the sea something or grow on it eventually
0: they don't go for seaweed exclusively
1: no they, it's less on seaweed they would want something nice and fixed and solid to grow on usually
0: uh you're you're newcastle you're doing this research what took you then to move into seaweed
1: uh, well it was a a bit of a detour into something else so it was at university I started thinking more about climate change and I uh, was doing my PhD and started to feel that I wanted to put energy into something positive relating to climate change. So when I finished my PhD, I worked in energy advice, uh, various community sustainability projects, uh, in growing food, um, low carbon transport. And one of the Areas I found really interesting was carbon accounting.
0: Was, um, was seaweed already in the horizon for you at that point at all?
1: So seaweed as an idea, um, I was working with a, uh, a company on monitoring carbon emissions and considering environmental impact. And that led to looking at new business ideas. And seaweed was the 10th idea that we looked at. And that started in
0: 2012. I I do want to come back to that because you said it's the 10th and I do want to come back to that and hear a bit about the other nine. But before we do that, uh, because you talked about carbon accounting, uh, I'd be curious to know whether that experience helped you in, in informing your view about carbon offsetting in relation to potential carbon capture through seaweed farming?
1: Yeah, so I think I always saw a lot of potential and excitement where I have, um, I have settled down on the thinking on it is that it's all of the spectacular applications for seaweed and the potential to offset carbon-intensive materials. When seaweed is growing, it's absorbing carbon, and it is taking in that carbon from the sea. But all the great things that you can do with seaweed almost all of them are returning that carbon back to the carbon cycle. There's very little that you can do with seaweed where you're truly sequestering it. And Thierry Chopin covered it far more articulately than I did um, in his interview.
0: In, In your view then, what do you see as the most important positive impact that we can achieve through seaweed?
1: The world needs more low impact materials, more renewable resources, and that's what seaweed is.
0: Let's move on to your company. Uh, You incorporated your company back in 2015, and by the sound of it, you considered other business ideas before landing on seaweed. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What considerations did you make that led you to pursue seaweed and not the others? And if you can tell us a bit more about the others.
1: Um, Well, it was uh, a very, very open process. It was considering any idea, really, And I think that that was the strength of the process that we went through. Um, We looked at bottled water. I remember looking at anaerobic digestion, looking at um, various uh, back to the carbon accounting, environmental impact software. So it was varied. One year in, uh, seaweed was the 10th idea. And we kept looking at different ideas. Our work on seaweed remained desktop for a year or two. But pretty soon, the other ideas dropped away and everything, everything was focused on progressing seaweed.
0: Did your um, personal inclination to uh, contribute and have a positive impact drive that decision in any way?
1: Yes, uh, I think from a personal point of view, it was very much a, a primary motivation for me.
0: So seven years on, is that still a strong motivator for you?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think it's become ever more important. Um, It's something that is at the forefront of everyone's minds at the moment and seaweed remains important for the future.
0: When you started off as a seaweed entrepreneur back in, I suppose, back in 2015 or or, uh, maybe even earlier, when you were sort of considering your uh,
1: your options, was it an obvious choice for
0: you to start with wild harvesting?
1: Yeah, well, I think we we were starting with a blank sheet of paper, and we saw the potential for farming. We recognized the history of wild harvesting and the importance of a high quality processing facility and we saw that to have a reliable raw material and intake for that factory process that wild harvesting was a great way to start with reliable sourcing of seaweed
0: did you think back then that harvesting would have been a stepping stone to farming and if so is that still your opinion
1: now no Um, i think uh it it could be simplified as saying that we wanted to start with wild harvesting and develop farming further Uh the reality is that as we've gone through this process we've recognised that different seaweeds do different things and there are a handful of seaweeds that can be farmed and there are many more seaweeds that we wild harvest and we have different markets for different seaweeds and really it's it's integrating everything and they all play a part.
0: So with that in mind, is there a place for wild harvesting in the future,
1: in your in your opinion? Yes. Especially the the sort of wild harvesting that we do. So we're very careful with our harvesting. It's teams of guys down onto the shore and they're hand cutting and that allows for careful plant selection but also different seaweeds grow in different ways. And that means that we're gathering and allowing those plants to regrow. So we're absolutely minimal impact with our harvesting. The important thing as well for wild harvesting is we are pretty much year round. And um, uh, one of the big challenges with seaweed farming is how highly seasonal everything is. And that makes it difficult for keeping a team together um, year-round and having that consistency. It's also difficult in scaling, processing, um, and everything with handling uh, seaweed as well.
0: Let's take a bit of a deep dive on, on that sort of comparison because it's something that we haven't really covered much in previous episodes, and I think it, it it covers a very interesting point. In your experience, what are the main advantages and the main disadvantages of harvesting compared to farming
1: so a really important point with wild harvesting is that you're targeting a lot of different species and the difference in those species where every seaweed is harvested in season but because you're harvesting a range of seaweeds you are able to harvest pretty much pretty much year round we have a wide range that we harvest but We have some that are midshore species, which we can pretty much get on any tide. And then we have much busier spring tide weeks where the tides are stronger, where we can access the low shore, which is more diverse and the plants are larger. And we're harvesting bigger volumes on those spring tides and very careful about the seaweeds that we target. A lot of careful planning around that. But also it's a process where you have a very low cost of that raw material in contrast to farming there's a lot of time and money spent on the infrastructure that's in the water the seeds uh the seeded line put out the maintenance of the farm the harvesting and any day at sea is expensive whereas a day of harvesting on the shore is relatively straightforward in comparison
0: Going back to your um, earlier expertise, biofouling, is there is there a difference there between farming and, and harvesting? Would you experience fouling in wild harvesting as well as farming?
1: Yes, and that's why the site selection is very important and where we're harvesting in the very far north of Scotland is important. So when we started the process of thinking about seaweed and wild harvesting, we surveyed Uh, pretty much the whole of the north of Scotland, trying to work out where the best places would be for wild harvesting. We looked at lots of different factors. It's very important that anywhere producing seaweed is sited away from industrial areas, away from urban areas. Seaweed is an incredible sponge, um, which is wonderful for all the nutrients that it contains, but it does mean that you have to be careful with the water that you're harvesting them. The important thing about where we're harvesting around Caithness is it's where the Atlantic Ocean meets the North Sea. So there's lots of tidal movement, there's lots of wave action and that means you have very diverse shoreline, lots of different types of seaweed, you have good growth of seaweed, nice flat shelves where the sea meets the land and all of that combines to mean that you have clean seaweed so you have beautiful cold clean water and it's a uh, a a somewhat random environment with all that wave action that means that it's hard for plants and animals to grow on the seaweed so where we have rock pools we'll find that we'll have more plants and animals uh, fouling the seaweed and that isn't seaweed that we would harvest because it's not meeting a high quality standard on farming Your growth is very rapid. So you have that early season growth uh, when the nutrients come back and the light comes back in January, February. Very rapid growth at that point. And then you reach that key period where you have that biomass growth, but you start to get those fouling organisms, hydroids, bryozoans, and the quality of the plant. Deteriorates. So the important thing for farming is harvesting at the right time to minimize that fouling.
0: From what you're saying, you have access to a, a wide range of different species. And I wonder whether there's any crossover. Could you farm the species you harvest and vice versa? Yes.
1: Yeah, so from the start, we were thinking about farming and what species we would farm. Uh, We began production at uh, our factory in Wick in 2016. And at that time, we were also farming seaweed. There are not that many species that are commercially farmable at the moment. That is partly because um, life cycles are difficult. There's lots of research going into various seaweeds. In particular, uh, dulse is a seaweed that is pretty much on the cusp of being able to be farmed. You're starting to see it more now in Europe as, as, a, as a species that is being grown at sea. It's always been two years, um, nearly 10 years doing this and it's always been two years away and now I actually think it is two years away. For real. For real now, for real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay. And uh, the important thing though is that for a lot of the seaweeds we're harvesting, they are species that grow in the mid-shore and they are slower growing than other seaweeds and they thrive where they do because they are adapted to be out of water for approximately half of their lives. And that means that translating that to farming where you would have to have some sort of structure for them to survive, you'd have to have some sort of structure that was being exposed to air regularly, and you would have to have that running for multiple years. So for us, we don't see farming as being a way to scale production of those species. Um, It's too difficult to do and those species are not suited to farming, Um, but they are abundant on rocky coastline. Um, And as long as that harvest is managed sustainably Um, in the practices that we uphold, then um, there's a a sustainable source of that seaweed. Can you give us an
0: idea? Farming versus harvesting. How many species do I have access to with harvesting? And feel free to mention any names if you like. How many and which species for farming? Just to have a comparison.
1: So we are licensed and in our sites in Caithness to gather 17 different species and there's obviously a lot more species than that Uh, they were the species that we targeted for initially and they're the ones that we wanted to harvest yeah the reality is that there's around 10 that we harvest regularly and are part of our production schedule about six or seven are essentially too small to match our production model for us to schedule harvesting around so, key ones for us up at the top of the shore, you have species like spiral rack, Fucus spiralis, which is a good eating seaweed. And that's the seaweed at the top of the shore. It's spending more time out of water uh, than it is underwater. All right. Um, and then going down the shore, we have uh, bladder rack, terrible name, but a pretty amazing plant, Fucus vesiculosus. Uh, we did go through a process of thinking of. Is there must be a, an, an alternative name, uh, for that seaweed, and alongside uh, that you'll often find um, ascophylum. So Ascophyllum nodosum is an abundant seaweed, in particularly in sheltered locations, uh, we do have it on our sites, and that is a seaweed that we we do harvest, um, and we have a really high quality of of uh, but it's uh, it's one of many racks that we. We harvest. There's an important one as well is tooth rack, and that's been very interesting recently. It, it's uh, it's a seaweed that we do have in uh, abundance in Caithness, and in particular on that fouling question, it's a seaweed that's vulnerable. Uh, it's, fa- it's famous for having the small white worms, spirobis growing on them. And uh, particularly in a sheltered location, it will be heavily fouled. It is the seaweed that I did my undergraduate dissertation on uh, with this amazing community of plants and animals that grow on it when it's in a sheltered environment. So other important species for us, well, my, my personal favorite species is sea spaghetti, which is Hemanthalia elongata
0: As an Italian, I, can, I cannot.
1: Oh, I'm very sorry. No, uh, uh, I, his name's spaghetti from how it looks, not for what you should use it for.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you gave a, a, a nice overview of what you can get, what you have access to as a, as a harvester. What, uh, or how would it compare in terms of farming which species have I have got access to?
1: Well, interestingly, I don't. None of the species that I've talked through so far are really farmable.
0: So there's no crossover whatsoever in 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 those in those species.
1: I think it's particularly challenging for seaweeds on the mid and upper shore because yeah. they're so adapted at um, surviving out of water. I see. Um, so the kelp family are seaweeds that are well understood in their life cycle and they are found at the bottom of the shore and they're the they are the seaweeds that are driving european farming at the moment so for us in particular we focused on atlantic wakami Alaria esculenta, which is a really good eating seaweed it's a cousin of the asian wakami and it's a seaweed that we have really good beds of in caithness um, it's really well adapted to these wave-exposed, high-energy environments. And that's a seaweed from month one we were focused on farming. And that's accounted for the majority of our production from farming to date.
0: Okay. So it's interesting that you, when you started, pretty much from day one, you started with harvesting and farming almost in parallel. Is that right?
1: Yep, absolutely. I think technically speaking, we had we had our lines of farm seaweed in the water before we did our first harvest in twenty sixteen. Yeah. Okay,
0: because you know one from hearing uh, all the wonderful uh, species that you have access to with uh, harvesting and 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 all the benefits that you talked about, which you know are not insignificant. Uh, one could wonder, well, then why are we bothering with farming at all? Does harvesting have have any limitations that make all of a sudden farming
1: very much worth doing in your opinion so we have harvest quotas for all of our sites so before we started harvesting we did biomass surveys and estimated and that was a challenge in itself of working through really had to dig into our marine biology backgrounds to to do that. But we estimated the biomass of the seaweed on the shores and then our quotas are 20% of that biomass. We have really good stocks of most species. One of the key things for alaria is the habitat that it lives in. We can only harvest it on strong spring tides. And so that means that we are limited to a certain number of days, really, a year, that we can harvest it because it has a short harvest season. So there's this window of opportunity. Uh, We will lose a few days every year because simply we have a storm come through, for example. So there there are limits to how much we can produce of that seaweed. And I can see a time where, in the future, we are farming that seaweed and it means we can shift our harvest effort of wild seaweed to other species that are available at that time of year.
0: So from a uh, sustainability point of view one could uh, wonder are there limitations in place And, and from what you're saying you're very much limited by legislation as to what and how much you can harvest.
1: So actually wild harvesting is in scotland is is not uh, regulated you need permission from the landowner to do it commercially mm-hmm. uh, the, ma- the majority of foreshore in scotland is owned by crown estate scotland and they have a really good process of licensing uh, seaweed harvesting as a responsible landowner and we have our harvesting processes looked at by nature scots Uh, which is a it's a government agency but it isn't um, officially regulated in the same but farming is farming is regulated and from my point of view I would welcome the regulation to an extent because it would mean that everyone would be looking after the resource if they are wild harvesting and adhering to certain standards.
0: So when you said uh, that you would only harvest for the equivalent of 20% of the total biomass, where does that come from? Is that your...
1: Yeah, so it's our, it's our estimates. And we, um, we ran our methods past, past various academics for the approach that we were taking of that estimate. And the reality is that we, we, don't, we don't get to 20% of the harvest for for most of our species, I mean, we have a lot of seaweed on our harvest sites. We have fifteen different harvest sites, um, different stretches of foreshore around Caithness, and there are some that we go to more regularly. The important thing is that, and this is the challenge in in the um, initial biomass surveys. There's a lot of variation, so you have different angles of the shore. Um, different amounts of exposure, so uh, to wave action, and there's a massive variation in the seaweed that's growing there. So it's a very dynamic place, um, very dynamic habitat. Just to close
0: that one off, um, I'm just—I just really want to get the, the message across that, that you sort of limiting yourself to twenty percent is entirely driven by your own sort of policy, if you will rather than legislation am i getting that right
1: yeah there's a degree of crown, crown estate scotland yeah um have a process of licensing harvesting as a landowner and they have a a policy of a 20 percent quota
0: okay so that's where that's where it comes from mm-hmm. let's switch gear completely and move on to a slightly different topic you have about seven years of working experience around seaweed for food so you know better than most that some species are good for certain products and not others what have you found to be the best applications for the different species and if you could give a a, a, a very quick overview of that i think that would be very interesting
1: yeah so again when we started our uh, wild harvesting and farming in 2016, we also started a knowledge transfer partnership with Abate University. And that's a, um, a relationship between a researcher and an academic and a company um, to look at a particular problem. And what we wanted to do was look at all the different seaweeds that we could harvest and understand their basic properties their organoleptics um, texture taste uh, rehydrating from dry and how they would all perform and we would find that some are quite similar um, some have significant differences um, but it was really interesting that you certainly for a certain application um, you would have some seaweeds that would work really well and some seaweeds that would not work very well so sometimes it's texture sometimes it's a it's a saltiness that comes through uh, but there's a big difference between different species
0: it's a combination of things by what you're saying taste texture
1: organoleptics. yes and one of the one of the solutions is to use blends of different seaweeds as well ah interesting um You probably answered
0: this question uh, in some form already, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, What is your process for identifying which seaweed are the most suitable for a certain product? And what I mean by that is, was it a sort of research desktop learning exercise or have you done testing with? potential customers to see what sort of would be more accepted by your, uh, customers. How did you get to that point where you said, yeah, that, so that, that particular seaweed or that particular combination and blend, uh, really works.
1: Yeah. Um, well, we have done quite a lot of work in understanding what different seaweeds can do. We would recognize that rack seaweeds are a nutritional Powerhouse, um, so they are nutrient dense, um, but the compounds in them mean that there can be some more challenging flavors with them. So typically, they would be used at quite a low inclusion level.
0: Okay.
1: Um, there's seaweeds like sea spaghetti that have a much more neutral flavor, but they—that's uh, a seaweed that is quite salty in comparison. Huh. Um, so it is. A wide experimentation process um, with consumer testing, uh, with uh, working on kitchen trials, but also um, carefully working through those conversions from kitchen scale to factory scale as well.
0: Does harvesting, for all the reasons that we talked about, having access to a a much wider range of species and access to all these different flavors and, you know, the different textures and different characteristics. Does harvesting give you a competitive advantage in your mind in the market?
1: Yes. And one of the key advantages is price. So rack seaweeds are, uh, relatively quick to harvest in the wild. And really importantly, they have a high yield from wet to dry. So almost everything we do is with dried seaweed Um, there's challenges with working with fresh seaweed uh, with a very short um, shelf life uh, as a fresh product Uh, whereas with dried seaweed we have a very long shelf life and it means that we're harvesting in season but we have seaweed available for year-round supply
0: you're kind of introducing a a very fascinating and um, important topic uh, and that is processing. Do you process your own seaweed? And if so, what is your preferred method?
1: Um, so yes, we, we process all our own seaweed. So we have our factory in Wick, uh, with food grade, uh, certified factory with organic accreditation from soil association. We are taking the seaweed in, we are inspecting, washing in fresh water, drying, milling, uh, storing and packing and uh, it is over 300 wet tons that we've processed to date. So we have a lot of experience with processing seaweed for food applications. And I think the important thing is the, um, the quality and the care that you need to take for food grade seaweed, um, even if it isn't going into direct human consumption. So we sell our seaweed to um, nutraceutical companies, for example, um, uh, to a wide range that demand the highest quality of uh, seaweed, even if it isn't going for direct food use.
0: So it is mainly, uh, or almost exclusively, drying as as far as your 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 sort of processes go.
1: Yeah. So we're talk we talk to customers. They'll often approach us with. Uh, seeking fresh seaweed. And there's absolutely something that we can offer, and we talk through um, all of the uh, constraints around that. For example, only being able to harvest on certain tides, um, only available for certain months of the year, the logistics of moving wet seaweed, and almost all the time it comes around to dried being a much more viable solution all round um it's easier to ship it uh doesn't have the shelf life problem and it means that that material is available uh, for year-round operation and i think that that's absolutely critical point in the value chain for seaweed that um, we have a uh, year-round operation in the processing
0: and, and that seems to work for your customers uh, even though at the beginning they would have wanted fresh
1: yes because the the benefits of fresh are outweighed by the negatives of the high seasonality of it it's easier to um, to handle uh, once dried and milled so you can put, put simply you can you can fit more on a pallet when shipping it um, and uh, you don't have to worry as much about the the journey time you're sending it ambient
0: do you, do you recognize? This ah nice.
1: i do <laughs>
0: could you describe to the audience what these are and, and what's in it
1: yeah you are holding a big sharing bag of our shore seaweed chips and it's the this is my
0: favorite by the way good the the uh, sweet sriracha um i hope i'm pronouncing that right yeah
1: now. absolutely and um it's definitely the case there's a, a nice uh, a nice chili heat with that product and um yeah, they taste really good and the, sea- the seaweed flavor, that umami carries through and really goes well with the uh, the sweet chili.
0: You know, it reminded me of I don't know if that makes sense to you but it reminded me of
1: prawns. Yeah, um, that's certainly something we've heard before. Um, so they're, they are a quinoa and uh, maize uh, and seaweed chip. And uh, we do get asked quite a lot is the seaweed on the uh, the flavoring, but it's actually within the chip itself. And then we have different flavorings that we apply. So
0: I, I know the answer, because obviously I'm holding the real thing and, and I and I read the label, but some of the listeners might wonder, is seaweed the main ingredient? You said earlier it's definitely the star ingredient, but is it the main ingredient? What else is there?
1: No, so seaweed isn't the first ingredient um, for this product. Uh, as part of the process that we went through we uh, tried seaweed at different concentrations and i think the important thing is that we want to walk a tightrope of being able to taste the seaweed but also not being too seaweedy and putting people off so they have to taste great and um, the there's there are products in the uk um nori sheets Seaweed thins, and they are a very seaweedy product. They are seaweed, and uh, it's uh, it's quite a uh, an somewhat alien taste and less um, less common in um, in the Western diet. And that was something that it was important for us to be producing something that's easy for people to eat. So we have our sure seaweed chips we have uh sure seaweed pesto and we have other products that are being launched soon watch that space watch the space we're gonna have
0: to wrap this up uh very shortly i just wanted to ask you a one final question uh, a bit of a general one to be fair we talked a lot about the current situation and in previous episodes you you would have heard about challenges uh, in the industry from your point of view Uh, and your experience, what future would you like to see for the seaweed industry? Is there anything in particular or or a specific vision that you've got in mind or or a a specific issue that needs to be overcome? Anything at all, whatever comes to mind.
1: I think something that is important is um, the hype around seaweed and all the different things that seaweed can do and all the different types of seaweed that there are then seaweed is not universal. So I absolutely fundamentally believe that a seaweed industry can be built that is incredibly sustainable, um, that significantly contributes to the UN Sustainable Development Goals. But I think from my my point of view, there's an important sense of uh, seaweed pragmatism, not seaweed idealism. Um, I'm someone that likes to dream, but I like to things that are tangible and achievable Um, and I think that there's a real future for seaweed in lots of different markets and applications and it's um, going to play a really important role in this century
0: do you see you might not have a a view on it but do you see uh, the need for a particular technology or something that could maybe unblock you know if if there was a group of entrepreneurs saying we've got a lot of money and a lot of very smart people we're going to focus for uh, for the next year on x is there anything that you would say yeah do this because that's that is the thing that might actually gives us all as an industry
1: a better future i have a lot of conversations that are that chicken and egg question of applications for seaweed, but there needs to be a scaled supply of seaweed in order for that um, application to become a reality. And we've always thought through um, scaling supply of seaweed. So we haven't taken seaweed forward for development in our products. If we aren't confident it's a species that we can scale, be it through wild harvesting or through farming. Um, And I think that um, there is certainly a a processing bottleneck. We have a lot of expertise in that area, and um, there are certainly challenges with that of doing it at scale and economically. Okay.
0: Peter, we said we were going to go deep and not just skim the surface. Well deep we have gone indeed (laughs) this has been so insightful and and high opening to a a certain degree to get your perspective should people want to learn more about shore and what you guys are doing uh i understand they can find you on ShoreSeaweed.com on linkedin Anywhere else? Any any call to action on any website or piece of material that you want to point the audience toward?
1: Yeah. So if you want to find out more about what we do, please go to shoreseaweed.com, our website. There's more about our products, our harvesting, and the different seaweeds that we process. And our products are gaining wider distribution in the UK and abroad. Um, so we're in uh, Morrison's booths, Holland and Barrett. So look out for us there. And um, we're on social media as well, at Seaweed.
0: Brilliant. And I look forward to hear uh, more about you, Shore, and what you guys are doing in the future. Thank you again for taking the time. It's really much appreciated. Uh, and thank you guys for listening. You can find all the links we mentioned in the show notes. And until next time, take care.